novelist and sometime playwright Henry James wrote, The drama at large in America just now is certainly neither artistic nor fine, but this is a reason for caring with some tenderness for what it may be in particular cases if tawdry plays and acting to match were things that began and ended with themselves, we could certainly very well afford to leave them alone. For one of the least comfortable signs of the times, to our sense, is the extension, the resonance, as it were, given by voluminous criticism to poor performances. But a thousand theaters full of people contemplating every night in the year spectacles artistically at least more or less pernicious suggest a number of accessory ideas. Thus, Henry James writing on the American theater in 1874 and all that from Notes on Theater by critic Frederick Morgan. Henry James' lament about the state of American theater as we heard was written in 1874 but never fear, there was a strong reaction all across the country to what James described. From 1910 to 1930, what was called the Little Theater Movement took shape in the U.S., first in large cities, then in smaller ones, such as Wilkes-Barre, in response to the predictable mix of melodramas and light entertainment sent on tour by theater syndicates. Much of it was created only to fill seats, without regard for theatrical merit. Emerging playwrights and new themes got little attention. Community groups who wanted something better took on the task of producing it themselves, often defying the odds with small budgets in small venues. From those humble beginnings, the little theater of Wilkes-Barre grew quickly in both size and ambition, the smaller productions of early seasons gave way to Shaw, Noel Coward, and Thornton Wilder. That from the opening pages of the program booklet for the gala centennial celebration of the Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre, taking place this Friday, September 23rd. The booklet is filled with fabulous photographs from the very early days to the present, all arrayed around a brief statement of the theater's mission to provide professional-quality, Broadway-style live theater while ensuring a welcoming environment that enhances the cultural growth of the greater Wyoming Valley. We are invited to join in the celebration this Friday at the Westmoreland Club in downtown Wilkes-Barre, and that's about one long block away from the Iram Temple, where many little theater productions were presented into the mid-50s including, in 1954, the Rodgers and Hammerstein classic, Carousel. A young Walter Mitchell Jr. was in that cast on that stage 68 years ago. He is now general manager emeritus and director of development at the Little Theater. The current general manager is David Parmalee, another Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre veteran. Walt Mitchell came to the studio with David Parmalee joining in by phone, and they shared their passion for the little theater in its hundredth year and their memories. Walt Mitchell. My first show was Carousel. I was eight years old, and at that time the little theater was still performing in the Iron Temple. And it was probably a thousand-seat auditorium, and 
I remember being on a little tiny carousel down stage right or stage left to the audience, and every rehearsal we had a pianist. For the first time ever, when the orchestra began two rehearsals before opening night, here's this 24-piece orchestra complete with brass and strings, and they started the overture, which you'll remember goes something like da 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 well, I had never heard anything like that in my life. And the hairs went up on my arms and the back of my neck, and I got a little bit of a chill and then a thrill, and I thought, there's nothing better than this. There can't be anything better than this. And that, I think, sort of acted like a vaccination. The needle went in, I was done at that point, I was going to do community theater or some form of theater as I went on in my lifetime. And I, I did roles every two or three years from that point on, even when I went into the service. During the Vietnam conflict, I started a theater group on our post with a little one-act play. And by the time I left, two and a half years later, we used the army band for the orchestra for musicals. And we used people from the community as well as people from the armed forces and our casts. And it's just been a, a terrific avocation for me and one that I, I have to say, I've had a lot of different interests, but at the core of who and what I am has been service to the community theater organization and specifically for Little Theater. So here we are celebrating our 100th year. Don't know how many theaters around the country are that old, but I do know that Erie Playhouse and Barnstormers Theater in Ridley Park are older than we, but I don't believe there are any others that are. It's typical to be a vagabond theater company where you move from space to space. Little Theater did that at its outset when it began with simple play readings in people's homes, and then it moved to North Washington Street, across the street from what was Coughlin High School, and they built their sets there, they did their rehearsing there, uh, they did their auditions there, before they moved into the Iron Temple, sort of like with two weeks to go, the temple would allow you to come in and play. And I can remember way back when I was a kid, directors would sit in the back of that thousand-seat house and would yell, I can't hear you! We didn't have mics in those days, body mics. And it seems like every show these days, be it a musical or a dramatic piece, people are still wearing mics. The art of projection and articulation and enunciation, it's a lost art. It really is. And we've gained the reputation of when you go to the theater for a musical, you're going to get live music. You're not going to get recorded music on what are called tracks. We always have at least a quintet or more of very talented professional musicians, many of whom come back show after show because they enjoy so much uh, the experience of playing there. I think they feel appreciated because so few other theaters anywhere are using live music, so they know, well, at least I've got a job. And maybe there's a little one out in the audience who will react the way you reacted, that very first carousel opening, and you were hooked. And that's an experience that you can't put a price tag on. 
David, you have been digging around in archives that people haven't been able to digest up until this time. So tell us what you've been researching and what's turned up. Yes, I know now to an extent how museum curators feel when they say we have 10 times this amount in the basement that no one can ever see. Uh, Susan Nagel and I went through, I'm thinking, 40 giant three-ring binders packed with photos, programs, bills for expenses for producing shows, uh, minutes of board meetings from the 1920s. I mean, these are the kind of things we have. And our goal was to select the most interesting things and the things that threw most light on the entire history and prepare some of them for display at the gala and after that. And we've actually made reproductions of things like a program from an A.A. Milne play they did in 1929, the original bond that was issued for purchase of the theater in 1956. They issued a number of these, and we have one that was brought back, somebody saved, so that people can handle them and look at them and, and see what was the tone of the time. What were things like? We have a newsletter from 1930, and the main article is, what is the problem with community theater in America? And I haven't read the article yet, but I guess nothing has changed, because we could still ask that question today. But it, it stirs your heart to look at the collection of things, and it reflects the effort and the passion and the devotion of people to that institution over these hundred years. It, it was an emotional experience to look at all those things. Well, you have a list of names before you of people who are no longer here, but who were not just movers and shakers in the theater world, but those were professionals, community-minded people who understood the importance of arts organizations in a community in terms of quality of life. Speaking of that, Daniel J. Flood may ring a bell, a longtime congressman in Wilkes-Barre. He was very active in the little theater. In fact, this event on Friday, black tie optional, women in long gowns, pearls, and all that stuff, that's what audiences looked like on opening night in the 40s and early 50s. Dan Flood himself was the honorary house manager, and he was dressed up in white tie and tails, top hat, gold-handled walking stick, to set off that outfit. It was a big deal. Opening night in Wilkes-Barre at the Little Theater was the place where anybody who was anybody went. And it's going to be much like that on Friday. Ralph Smith was the president of Blue Cross for many, many years. Will McGuire was a high school principal. Houston Day ran the Coca-Cola Bottling Company. Uh, Joe Visby, everybody went to Visby's, right? Especially after a rehearsal or a show, you went to Visby's. Tony Kane, longtime musical instructor at uh, Wyoming Valley West. Linda Sipple, everybody knows Linda Sipple from her dancing days. So we've really been blessed with very well-known, prominent people in the community who realize the importance of the arts, and specifically the performing arts, in the Wyoming Valley. Dan Flood, after the flood of 72, was able to get a federal grant for the Little Theater to perform gratis productions for people in the Wyoming Valley that fall because he, as so many people did, realized what a psychological toll the effects of that flood took on the community. And he said, well, let's 
do something to make him happy. So he got this money to get to the little theater so they could afford to mount a happy production that would help raise people's spirits. And that's what performing arts can do that a lot of other things in life cannot do. You can laugh, you can cry, you can giggle, you can reflect, you can think, get down into the minds of those actors on that stage and the characters that they're playing, and you'll never see it again. You can't rerun it on your DVR. It doesn't happen. So for the actor, whatever he's putting out there or she... That's all it's going to be. You'll never hear the same words given the same way any other time. And that's what's unique about live theater and the interpretation of those words and what the playwright or composer or lyricist was thinking about when those words and music were created. David, when you were telling us about digging into the archives, in having that encounter with those artifacts, whether they be bills or someone acting dramatically on stage in a remarkable part, when you look at that and you put together your experience with the Little Theater, what was ringing true for you and your experience? Having grown up here and being a bit older now, there's a strong connection in my heart with the area. And theater being one of my passions, I knew some of the folks who are depicted there when they were older. For example, I worked at the Wilkes College Summer Theater Workshops, where so many people attended. And Mike Gallagher from the Music Box was a student at Wilkes at the time, and it was run by Al Groh, who was a founder of the Fine Arts Fiesta. And I have a photo of Al Groh looking like a young matinee idol from 1949, about to hit Dorothy Salzburg with a chair in a play called Night Must Fall. And Michael told me Al was a great actor, but in his later years, he did not act much because he was administering and producing and teaching. And when I see what those folks were doing on stage, the connection is so strong to me, both to what we're doing now in theater and also just to the place where I grew up and where I live and where my wife and I raised our family. It's a place of friends and neighbors. It's a place of community. And it's a marvelous place for community theater. It's no wonder that community theater, and theater in general, has thrived the way it has here. Uh, Right now, we're still in a surprisingly expensive 1940 theater building uh, that we love. We think it has a character like nothing else. To to know that those poster frames in the lobby held posters from 1940s films. Uh, The atmosphere of the place is really old-school theatrical, and I have enjoyed it and loved it since the first time I set foot in it in 1973 on the stage crew for Hello, Dolly. So we, we kind of like it old school as well. And we've got some substantial capital expenses coming up in addition to just the expenses of running a season. Well, David, you talk about putting on a season. Well, tell us what's in store this Friday and in the days ahead. This is not the first time that we have had sort of an extravagant event and to celebrate the 100th. But we use this time every year to actually introduce our new season. So even though this is going to be black tie optional affair, it's still a very informal affair. In that I mean there's no sit-down meal, there are no long speeches. Right toward the end of the evening, which runs from 5.30 to 8 on Friday, we're going to take a minute to thank a few folks that have been so instrumental in helping us over the years, and then We're going to climax the evening with the introduction of our new season, our 101st season. 
and unfortunately, I can't tell you today what those shows are because that's what we promise. We say to people, if you want to know what we're doing next season, you must come to our season introductory event. So, without saying what the shows are, I can tell you with some excitement that we have three people whose career started in one way or another here in northeastern Pennsylvania, and they now have achieved, in many cases, the highest pinnacle of success in theater in general. And the first one is Santo Laquasto. He spent many of his formative years in Lee Park and Wilkesbury and then came back to Wilkesbury to go to King's College where he learned the art of set design. From there he went to New York and for those who don't know the name Santo Laquasto, he is the owner of several Tony Awards of decorative awards and design awards in film and many nominees in all those areas. So he's quite well known within that sort of technical aspect of the entertainment business. He has taped a presentation for one of the shows that we're having in our new season. Celia Hottenstein, many people know that name because her father is a doctor in the Wyoming Valley and she did much of her theater initially also here in northeastern Pennsylvania before she went off to New York and is now in Wicked on Broadway and has many times played the lead as a stand-in, therefore. She's also taped an introductory message about one of our shows. And finally by tape is Rob Klein. Now, Rob went to Wyoming Valley West, and then he went on to Harvard, where he served as the editor for the National Lampoon. And apparently his talent was so good that Saturday Night Live hired him, and he served as the chief writer for Saturday Night Live for many, many years. And he also is going to introduce one of the products that was written by one of the talented people for whom he wrote comedy when he was at Saturday Night Live. An interesting aside about Rob Klein is that we have had a summer theater workshop for kids 5 through 17 ever since 1985. And when he was here growing up at Wyoming Valley West, one of his best memories was going through the student theater workshop at Little Theater. Uh, we have Lauren and Lorenzo Medico. They themselves have been on professional tours, not together, but the same show, Beauty and the Beast. So they will be on the dais introducing one of the shows in our season. So we've got six shows plus a summer theater workshop, and uh, I think people are going to be ecstatic when they hear the top quality of recognizable names that they'll be seeing in the new season beginning in January. Yes, this is a celebration. We don't have to worry about performing for once and all those moving pieces that go into being performers and an audience. This is just a gathering of friends to have fun 
and enjoy that heritage and that legacy and to meet with one another, in some cases, after quite an absence. You know, it's been some time since some of us saw one another and to reconnect. Uh, Just the fun of being together, talking theater, looking at all that great stuff we've assembled and just enjoying the moment. That's what it's for. There's quite a responsibility in being part of an organization that is 100 years old. You have to understand the past, you have to think about the challenges of the present, and look ahead to the future. Yes, well, the 125th or 150th, when we're displaying the holograms of the last show we've done you know, through artificial intelligence on the internet or whatever we're doing, people will look back on this moment as the distant past. And of course, today, what matters to us is not only celebrating that great legacy, that heritage of theater, but what's coming up next year. You know, what are you offering us? That's what it's all about. Uh, Somebody said once, actor's work is writing on water. And unlike film or literature, that happens in the moment, that connection that's like no other between the cast and the creative team and the audience. Uh, But I remember my first show, Wyoming Valley West. I played Grandpa and You Can't Take It With You when I was 15 years old. And there's nothing like that feeling that you get when you do this for the first time. If you're that kind of person and you say to yourself, I would like more of this, there's nothing quite like this. And Walter and I both participated as instructors and mentors, so to speak, at the youth workshop that we do every year. We did that this summer. We had about seven on the staff. And Scott Collin directed Into the Woods Jr., But I got to work with some of the kids and do theater games and exercises and diction and things like that. And a number of those young actors, the 14 to 17-year-old teen actors, have come back since to volunteer, some of them many times. In fact, some of them are volunteering at the gala. So every generation, you have a new group of people who say, I love this, and I would like to do this for the rest of my life, whether it's professional or at the community level. It's just as wonderful within yourself. So it was, it was, it was uh, reassuring and heartwarming to see that spark being kindled this summer in young people. We've got incredible alumni from that workshop over the last 37 years. I, I remember what, uh, what it felt like to start. And to have the opportunity to continue to be part of theater is a great, great gift. You've seen the well-to-do up on Lenox Avenue on that famous thoroughfare with their noses in the air. High hats and colored collars, white spats and $15 spending every dime for a wonderful time. Oh, that's not the audience at this gala. It was David Parmalee, general manager of the Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre and Walter Mitchell, Jr., general manager of emeritus and director of development at the Little Theater. It is a gala centennial celebration of the Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre. Little Theater commemorating its 100th season with black tie optional. But it will be a grand celebration and it's this Friday, September 23rd, getting underway at 5.30 in the afternoon and continuing at the Westmoreland Club. 59 South Franklin Street in Wilkes-Barre. As we mentioned, that's one long block from the Iram Temple of Wilkes-Barre, where many of the shows in the early days of Little Theatre were produced. One of the exciting things about this gala centennial celebration on Friday will be, as we heard Walt Mitchell say, 
the announcement of the season to come and the announcers, the presenters of that season are stellar in their own right. And you are invited to join them all. And for more information, it's ltwb.org, ltwb.org. The Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre, Gala Centennial Celebration, and that's to commemorate the 100th season of the Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre, a landmark by any standard. Friday, September 23rd, getting underway at 5.30, running till 8 at the Westmoreland Club, 59 South Franklin Street in Wilkes-Barre. For more information on the web, ltwb.org. 